this is this is the last Sunday in the series that I have been ministering on for the last six weeks, the Empowered series, what it means to, to live a life that's baptized in the Holy Spirit. Today, the last Sunday, we're talking about Empowered for Mission, Empowered for Mission. I don't know about you, maybe some of you can identify with this, but I, one of the things I loved about going to my grandmother's house, especially around Thanksgiving or Christmas, was you would walk into the house and you would instantly be overwhelmed by the smell of pies and the smell of food cooking. And it was, you know, even, it's 20 to 12. This is dangerous talk right now, I recognize. But all the cookies and, and that had been prepared, and, and we get hungry just thinking about it. How many of you have that memory that there's certain places you go and instant, you just walk there and you can just smell the food? I hope... I hope that, that this series on the empowered life is, is having that same effect on you where it makes you hungry for a greater work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I want you to hunger for the impact that your life uh, can have as it is lived under the direction and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I hope you'll ask Jesus to do in your life what he promised to do and, and empower you. And so today as we get into what it means to live on mission and prepared for mission, I, I pray that this is something that just continues to, to saturate your soul and make you more and more hungry for the power of God. Uh, Jeff Leake, I've mentioned him several times in this series, tells a story of a young man in his book, and the young man's name is Justin. And Justin was 23 years old, and and one night he had gone out, and it was after a night of heavy drinking and partying that he was driving home. And he was, he was driving home, and he was drunk, and he was driving too fast and lost control of his car as it went around a corner and bounced across the roadway and slammed into a very stout tree that literally just forced his car to just circle the whole tree. And... In the pictures that came out later, they begin to recognize that in the space that was left of that mangled car, every window was busted out, the frame was destroyed, that in the space, the only thing left in that car that had a little bit of space was just enough to be around his head and his chest. And as he was laying in the hospital, his mother came to him and she said, you do know that God saved your life, Justin, right? You, you do know that, don't you? Because you should, by all accounts, be dead right now. And I have been praying for you all along, and I believe that God has spared your life for a purpose, and I believe that God spared you in this moment because he wants you to realize there's more for your life than what you've been doing, and he wants to use you. And she said, the interesting thing is, is that Justin, it wasn't that Justin didn't know the truth because Justin had grown up in church and gone to youth group. He had uh, been faithful to the youth group because he enjoyed being around his friends. He believed that there was a God he understood who Jesus was. He, he had heard the story of how Jesus had died on the cross for him. And so Justin had no problem with the concept of God. He just never felt the need in his life to surrender to him. And I think that that probably describes so many, probably especially in our nation, nation there are people that have no pro proper problem with the prospect of God. They believe that God exists. They, they've heard the story of what Jesus has done on the cross. They just never come to that place where they've taken what they know in their heart and surrendered to him and let him be the Lord of life. So his mother stood next to his bed and she prayed for him. And it was the next day as they came back in that after Justin began to realize this near-death experience that he'd had, that 
He began to recognize God must have a plan for his life that's different than dying drunk after a party on a road. And so he finally surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. When he got out of the hospital, he was meeting with his youth pastor who began to meet with him to just kind of lead him on a pathway of discipleship. And his youth pastor told him, listen, you've surrendered your life to Christ, but there is another power that God wants to give to you. It's the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they begin to pray there together, and he says, I don't know how to describe it, but there was an explosion of praise that came as I began to praise the Lord, and suddenly it began to flow into uh, tongues which I had never learned as the Spirit gave me utterance, and I just began to have this explosion of praise in a brand new language, and I was swept away in the power of God. A few days after this experience, Justin came to his youth pastor, and he goes, you're not going to believe what's been happening in my life, and the youth pastor says, what's been going on? He goes, well, I, I just need you to know that, he says, I have suddenly felt on the inside of me like God is directing me to different people. He goes, I was in Borders Bookstore the other day, and I walked into the store, and there was a man all by himself at a table over there, and, and I, I just felt like the Lord saying, you need to go and sit at that table with that guy. He goes, so I did, and as I'm sitting there, I felt like the Lord say, you need to tell him your story. So I said, do you mind if I talk to you for a minute? The guy said, no, go ahead. He goes, I just have a story that I feel like I need to tell you, and he talked about the accident. He talked about how God spared him. He talked about the fact that from that moment, he re began to realize God had a plan for his life, and, and he received him, surrendered, and, 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 and at the end of that, he goes, can I just pray with you that you would come to know Jesus too? And the man was sitting there and he goes, absolutely. He goes, I led that man to the Lord right in a Borders bookstore. He goes, it was amazing. And he says, these things are beginning to, to happen to me all the time. And as he began to talk about that and, and begin to describe the changes that had taken place in his life from the time that he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, he began to recognize that there was a change that the Spirit made within his life. One minute He's partying and drinking and he's running from God. God intervened, protected him from death. He surrendered his life. He's baptized in the Holy Spirit and instantly he steps into a new dimension and the purpose of his life is energized by the power of God working in him and through him. And Justin's capacity to win people to Christ started with the experience that the Bible calls, if we have talked about it the last several weeks, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I want to examine the promise that Jesus gave. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts 1, 8. And if you have your bulletins on the back cover of the bulletin, there's an outline of what we're going to be talking about if you'd like to just jot down some notes today. In Acts 1, 8, Scripture declares Jesus' words that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Father, I pray that over these next few minutes, as you begin to make the deposit from your word into our life, that it would be seed that would be rich in harvest. Oh God, I pray that you would use us as we walk with you in brand new ways, demonstrating the power that you have given to us through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. One of the greatest events in the New Testament was Pentecost. The baptism of the Holy Spirit did more to transform the spreading of the gospel than any other single event. These believers, as we read in Acts, were filled with the power of God, and yet so often we understand or misunderstand the nature of this power. I, I want you to know today that 
This world today needs a spirit-filled congregation, a spirit-filled church, a people who would recognize that God has wanted to do something in each of us that would help us spread the gospel throughout the whole world. He needs each of you. And the Bible teaches us that we need the power of the Holy Spirit and that God has made this power available to all who will ask or receive it in faith. It is the power to be witnesses. When I talk today about empowered for mission, I want you to understand that God never intended you, once you have entered into relationship with him, to have a quietness about you, a quiet witness, or we call them closet Christians. I'm just going to hide in my house, and I'm not going to say anything. God intends each of us to be filled with his power so that we can go out into the world and that we can be witnesses to what he has done. The first thing I'd like to point out to you within the scripture is it talks about a provision that is made for us. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a gift that brings power. Any of you need more power in your life? Let me just ask that one more time. Do any of you need more power in your life? Now, I was just greeting some of you that you said, I have had a lousy week. You need more power in your life. We need more power. And there are two different words in Greek for power that come out in verses uh, 7 and 8 here. One of them is exousia, which is translated authority for us. We get our English word exertion from this, and it has more to do with conferred power or, or a permission, an authority that's given to us. In other words, when we come to know Christ and we're filled with his power, we have permission, the authority of God to walk in his power. It's almost as if he has commissioned you. Now that I have saved you, you are commissioned to go forward and be my mouthpiece to others. And then we find in verse 8, the other word that is used is dunamis, which is translated here in 1.8 as power. We get our English word dynamite from it. It has to do more with a sense of ability that God gives to us an ability that we do not have on our own. Now, I don't know about you, but I am constantly asking God, would you fill me with your ability today? Would you use me in your ability today? And though Jesus had finished all of his work and he was ready to return to glory, as we said at the very outset of this, he looked at these men that were standing there and he goes, go back to Jerusalem and wait until you are clothed with power because what you have now, your witness alone without this power, is not going to be a significant enough or strong enough witness to change the world. You need the power of the Holy Spirit because he knew that that type of power would literally transform them. They needed something more than just the authority. They needed the transforming power. And so the first part of this verse is very clear. For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The touch of the Spirit will be a real experience, and it will be one that will be noticed. Now, for those of you who may come from personality backgrounds where you're very shy and you're very quiet, and, and the idea that God might want to use you to talk to somebody else, because that's not comfortable for you, I do want you to know that when the power of the Spirit comes upon you, there will be a change in your personality. God will use you to begin to step out of comfort zones into things that he leads you, and you will begin to discover that you are not exempt from being used of the Lord because your personality may be one that is a little bit quieter. On the other hand, if you are one that's very outgoing and it's easy for you to talk to people, then the power of the Holy Spirit will begin to, to take the gifts that you've got and, and make them supersized. I was just at McDonald's the other day, and they asked me, hey, you want to supersize that? And I said, sure. God supersizes our abilities 
with a touch of His power. And this is where the Holy Spirit begins to do a new work within you that brings you outside with new boldness and new power within your life. Some of the greatest men and women in history have recorded this experience within their lives and the resulting power. In fact, in 1899, Dr. Schofield was speaking about D.L. Moody when he said this, Moody was baptized with the Spirit and he knew he was. To him, it was, a definite, it was as definite an experience as was his conversion. Moody himself said, The blessing came upon me suddenly like a flash of lightning right there on the streets of New York. The fire of God seemed to come on me so wonderfully that I asked God if he would remove his hand. I was filled with a sense of God's goodness and felt as though I could take the whole world into my heart because I had such a love for them. And he says, And this happened to me after I was converted. The story of Jonathan Edwards and the great New England revival that came from his preaching started when he determined himself to have received the power of God's Holy Spirit. He had spent three nights fasting and praying when he preached the message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And though in manuscript form, and though he read it from the pulpit, the power of God was so great in that auditorium that people were literally gripping their seats and hanging on to poles because they were afraid that they were going to be slipping into an eternity unprepared to meet Jesus. It was a power that they had never experienced before. Scores were saved, and the power filtered out of that church and into all of New England. That is power. That is power. And we need this touch of the Spirit today in our lives so that our testimony can carry power with it. Secondly, there's position that is mentioned within this verse. Jesus states here that when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them, it says, they will be, you will be witnesses. The emphasis on this passage is on those two words, will be. How many of you know that God is creating in us something that resembles more Him than us? He is at work within us. We will be when His hands begin to work within us. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift that will bring a passion to your spiritual life. What is recorded in Acts after the Pentecostal experience is proof positive that the baptism is a transforming experience. These men and women who earlier had been afraid, earlier they had hidden for fear of their lives, Many of them had squabbled among themselves, are now united, and they're bold, and have a clear sense of mission and power. And the power of God creates in us a passion that had never been seen before until after being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Peter is recognized instantly because he stands up, and he says he stands up with the others. And he begins to speak out what is happening, and he connects it to Scripture, and he preaches with a new power. He's transformed, and he's passionate, and he's bold. And in those words, we see thousands respond to that message that particular day. Now, the power of the Holy Spirit did not make Peter better than everybody else. It made him a better man that God had created in him to be. And the same thing will happen to us. It will not make you better than everybody else, but it will make you, the Holy Spirit will make you the best version of yourself that God can possibly make you and desires that you then would be used for the purpose of impacting the kingdom and not just to sit here and enjoy the fact that we are born-again believers. We truly need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. In fact, interesting enough, it is no accident 
that the greatest missionary thrust in the world today comes from Pentecostals. The fastest growing segment of Christianity in the world today are Pentecostals. Ed Stetzer wrote a blog that I was reading this week for Christianity Today. And he was asked to do a study on why Pentecostal churches are growing when many other mainline churches are stagnant or in major decline. And here's what he said. From a statistical perspective, Pentecostals tend to be less nominal than other believers. And he said, the reason seems to me to be obvious. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In other words, spirit-filled believers have a difficult time just sitting there. He said it's almost, in almost all Pentecostalism, speaking in tongues, following the Holy Spirit's baptism is an evidence. And he says, and after people experience that, it's hard for them to say, oh, I don't take this whole thing seriously. I don't even know it's real. He said, having been touched by the Spirit of God, something comes alive in them that brings the reality of God to brand new levels. He said, the baptism of the Holy Spirit reshapes the way that Pentecostals thinks about faith. Believers and churches are constantly emphasizing spiritual practice and engagement. In other words, they don't just attend church. Pentecostals believe they are the church. And the church will go with them wherever they are, even outside the walls of their building. And they take their witness everywhere. He says that tends to be what makes their faith more robust, is they feel they've got something to say that can change the hearts and minds of the world. So more often than not, stagnation is not compatible with a spirit-filled experience. You can't just sit here when you've been filled with the power of the living God and His Holy Spirit and begins to work in you. He goes on to say, the end result, it's harder to be a nominal Pentecostal. The beliefs of the movement tend to weed out nominalism. Because of what is happening in the church and in the community of faith, people tend not to hang around as casual observers in a Pentecostal church. Because ultimately, they will feel uncomfortable or they get involved. He said, another thing I've discovered. Pentecostals, unlike other stagnant or dying denominations, Pentecostals want to share their values everywhere they go. Not only does a valued, distinctive, encouraged participation and growth in the local body, but it also provides an imperative for growth outside the local body. When you appreciate what you have as much as Pentecostals do, you aren't satisfied with keeping the experience to yourself. And Pentecostals tend to take their experience with God everywhere they go. So you think others, as Pentecostals, should have the opportunity to partake in the movement of the Spirit of God. He said, that is what is transforming people's lives today. The transformation is that of a person, not just the tongue. And let me make this very clear. I know that when we're praying for people, the initial physical evidence, the first evidence, is that you speak in another tongue as the Spirit gives evidence. But let me tell you something. That's like opening the front door of a new house of experience. That is not the end all. You cannot walk out of there and say, I have got it. Hallelujah, I never have to do that again. Nope. It's an introduction into a life that is lived under the hand and the guidance of the Holy Spirit who will lead you and use you in ways and in places you may never have dreamed before. And he'll give you the boldness of how to be used and the words to say just when you need it the most. 
It's merely the introduction. It transforms and he empowers us. That's why it's so important for believers. So anything that empowers us to be what Christ wants us to be, that would move us out of our own strength is something that should be encouraged. And so we see this, that within Jesus' statement, there's little, little room for guesswork as to what the results of being a baptized believer is. He said, you will be witnesses. You will be witnesses. The story that I opened with in Justin, after he'd received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he had a burden and a desire to tell people about Jesus. He was no longer worried about what they might think of me. He was far more concerned with what they would happen to them if they had not hurt. There was something that had come alive within him. The Holy Spirit was activated within him, and he saw people through the eyes of a passionate, loving God, and he knew that he had something that needed to help them be rescued, and it compelled him everywhere he went. And so when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will become part of God's strategic plan to reach the world with the hope of Jesus Christ. Many of you have experienced this, where you're going somewhere, and maybe it wasn't something that you had planned to do, but as you get there, the Lord begins to just impress upon you an individual that you see or something going on, and you feel drawn to them. And you really don't know why. Maybe it's people you know, maybe it's people you don't. And, and as you go to them, I have discovered this again and again as I, as I follow the leading of the Lord and to say, I, just, I don't know why, but I just, is there something that I can pray with you about? The vast majority of the time, people will say yes. And what I have discovered is that when we are led of the Spirit and we begin to step up to the hearts of people that are in need at that moment, when whether you put a hand on their shoulder or you just stand there and you pray for them or you grab a hand, how many times, for those of you that have been using that, would you open your eyes and you see tears that have been streaming down their face because somehow you've touched something deep in their heart because you were led of the Lord for just that moment to touch them. And they stand back and they are amazed that God knows who they are and that he would use you to touch them in such a way. So witnessing is not just the work of your verbal skills. It's the work of the Spirit of God to a through a life that is yielded. And this transformed life speaks loudly of the power of God. So let me encourage you not only to testify of the Lord with your words, but would you testify of the Lord with your walk? I believe that one of the things that sets us apart is that we as God's people, the way that we do business and the way that we interact with people, that the judgment calls that we make, we make to honor others more than ourselves. And in doing that, your co-workers will recognize that because you do not live for yourself, you can be trusted. And as that trust level rises, you then begin to have the ability to have an influence in their life by what you say because they recognize that the Spirit has given you direction in other ways that always elevates others. And by that, they begin to trust you. And through that, the walk of your life begins to elevate the power of God so that He can do something within them. Thirdly, this morning, there's also a placement that is given within this verse. The power of the Holy Spirit is a tactical power that is best seen in productivity because he provides the power for you to be productive. The last part of the verse stresses how this power will find its tactical expression when it says, I want you first to go to Jerusalem. I want you to start in your home place first, then to Judea, then to Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the earth. What I find fascinating about this is that it very clearly speaking to godly people says your spirit-filled life must first be lived out with reverence in your home. 
It must be lived out first in your home. So husbands and wives, if you are both spirit-filled, there should be a difference in the way you communicate with each other in your home. Your children should recognize the way that there's a love and a respect and a care that you give. He says, this is where the transformation begins. Before you go out and try to win the world, make sure that there's something within your home that demonstrates that the power of God lives and is at work here. It should help you, through the power should help you make first feel God's love shine forth toward others in your own home. Then there also should be the recognition that you should have a desire to serve. One of the things that I loved about Stetzer's article was that he found that volunteerism was not a very big problem in Pentecostal churches because everybody had something that they could do. And very often people were looking for things where they could involve themselves. I believe that this is part of the way that the Spirit works within us because there will be a desire for you to do something and to serve God. You will also recognize that there will be a greater desire to know God's Word. You will have a humility that will be in abundance. There will be signs and wonders that will be a natural outflow of your life. As you look at the book of Acts, you begin to see the church after they've been empowered. And it's described as they are loving and united. They shared things with one another. In humility, they considered others first and sought ways to serve one another. They took a loving interest in the lost of the world. They were a people of prayer, and many miracles accompanied their ministry. And they did so under persecution, and everywhere they went, they took their message with them. Everywhere they went. And everybody took notice of their lives, not just their worship style. I was reading a book that was written by John Ashcroft shortly after he left the office of being our Attorney General. It's titled Never Again. It was the words that President Bush told to him in their first meeting after 9-11. He said, John, this can never happen again. He was talking about some of the things that had taken place in his life leading him up to that point. He had just gone through a Senate election where two weeks before the election, the person that he was running against was killed in a private plane accident in Missouri in a storm. Instantly, he removed all of his campaigns, removed all of his TV ads. He says, I will not dishonor this man by continuing to run a campaign when his family is grieving. His son had been the private pilot, and so... His widow had lost both a son and a husband in this. And after withdrawing all of that and removing all of his campaign, he went on to lose an election to a dead man because of the swell of people feeling sorry for this family. First time in the history that a senator has lost to somebody that wasn't even alive. It was shortly after that that I was in a meeting with him at Valley Forge as we were dedicating the, the library that is named in his father's honor, who was the president of Valley Forge. And, and it was between this time when he had lost this election and he was sharing with us as the board some of the things that were going on in his life. And it was just days later that President Bush called him and asked him if he would consider being the Attorney General of the United States. In his book, he begins to talk about some of the things that were happening there, but he went through a, a very, very abusive process as we have seen even on TV recently, to be confirmed. And he said it wasn't until he was in the air on 9-11 and they were telling him to get his private plane down and he said, nope, I've got to make it to D.C. And he gets there and he walks into the room and the rest of the cabin and he couldn't tell us where it was because it was a secure location. He said, the rest of the cabin is all sitting there and I walk in and President Bush, Bush looks at me and he says, John, you need to pray right now and you need to pray for us. And he says, 
this Pentecostal preacher's kid begin to pray in the power of God that God would lead the minds and the skills of those individuals so that this would never happen again. He said, I begin to recognize the strategy of God that I had not understood when I lost an election to somebody who wasn't even alive anymore. That at 9-11, I'm sitting in a room with a few of the minds that would determine the direction of our country and recognize that it was through it all that God had led and guided for just such a moment as this. And some of you are going through your things in your life right now that you just don't understand. You're saying, this makes no sense to me. This does not look like what the goodness of the Lord should be in my life. But I want you to know God is weaving a fabric that you may not understand it all right now, but there's a strategy to what God is doing within your life so that he can put you just where he needs you at just the right moment. Now, I'm not saying that all of you are going to end up sitting next to the president praying for him, but I want you to know that there's not a single soul out there that he loves more than any other. Everybody has the opportunity to hear what God wants to do. And through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, He can place you where He needs you to be because God has a plan and God has the power to fulfill that plan. And He's looking for individuals that would say, yes, here I am, Lord, use me, fill me, empower me, and send me so that I can be on mission for you. The last phrase of this verse, He says it's to the ends of the earth also indicates to us that it's to the end of time as well. I believe with all of my heart that the greatest things that God wants to yet accomplish in your life are still ahead of you. None of you have reached the place where you can look back on your life and say the best is in the past because God is still powering people to be used of his kingdom. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'd please come. I want you to think about this as they do. The 120 people who gathered in the upper room on that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was first poured out, changed the world. Think about it. 120 people. That's, that's about half the number of people that we probably have in this room right now this morning. Half that number changed the world. I look at that and I wonder sometimes, where were the 5,000 people that had eaten the loaves and fish when God, had, through Jesus, had fed them? Where were the 500 people that saw him after his resurrection? Where were the multitudes that cheered Jesus on on Palm Sunday? Where were all the people that had been touched and healed by Jesus? It says that there was only 120 people that was left that, that decided to wait until the power came. And they changed the history of the world. Today there are over 2 billion people that call themselves Christians. Millions and millions have been impacted by the gospel over the centuries. All because 120 people decided to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to fill their life and walk out in the boldness that He desired. We have to admit that it is possible for you to come to know Jesus and to live out your Christian life in an unproductive way. It is possible for you to say, I know Jesus as my Savior, but when you stand before him on the judgment day to stand there with empty hands, having brought nobody with you, and say, I'm here today because of your great grace, but I refused, I refused to take this message. And I refused to take the risk of being empowered so that I could be missional. I'm here, but I have lived an unrewardable life. But I'm here. 
And there are others of you that as you sit here this morning, you recognize in your life that you have never personally led anybody to Jesus. You've never seen anything supernatural happen in answer to your prayers. You've never experienced freedom from lingering habits and addictive patterns. Never sensed the explosive release of the Holy Spirit's passion for the broken. Never looked at somebody with eyes of compassion and said, God is leading me to do something in their life. You've never felt the rush of peace and joy and strength that comes from His presence. But you today are saying, I am in, I'm in the kingdom, but I am certainly not living in His power. Today I want to encourage you. God's purposes for you are so much greater than what you have experienced yet. He desires to empower you that your life will be a living testimony through your words and actions that will change your world. And he says that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the believers for.